Time for Rolling. Welcome to Time for Rolling Esports, the weekly podcast that brings you Vainglory Esports. From predictions to recaps and analysis, we present to you the best in professional Vainglory. Now, here's your hosts, Inglis and Krutzloff. It's Time for Rolling Hello and welcome to Time for Rolling Esports, episode 108, I do believe. Normally, Crude Sloth is my fact checker for the episode number, but he is not here. So I am joined with another special guest. We're going to do a wonderful episode. It's going to be different. It's not going to be EU. It's not going to be NA. We'll maybe do a little bit of that, but we're going to cover a lot other regions. I am joined with Idmon Fish. How's it going? Pretty good, thanks. All right, so why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself, give a little breakdown of you know who you are, not only with the things of how you found Vainglory, but also you know maybe stuff that you're involved with more of the esports side of things. Sure. So I so I found Vainglory basically because I was playing Face Forever, which was another MOBA uh, on iOS, and it was basically killed by Vainglory. So <laughs> most of the player base moved to Vainglory, and I reluctantly moved with them. Uh, so that that's where I kind of came from, uh, and yeah, I've been playing basically since the start of Vanguard, pretty much uh, on and off uh, bits and pieces. Became involved as a forum moderator uh, for a while, still doing that for the unofficial forums. Uh, then I became a PVE tester, uh, still doing that, and then I became the coach of what was then Infamous. Uh, and then Renegades, and, and now I'm involved in computing. Okay, so yeah, because for a lot of people, SEA, all these other regions, that's been gone since Worlds. No, they're not involved in it. They don't know what's really happening in those regions. And there's a lot that has changed, and that's kind of why I was glad that you reached out and we could get you on the show to kind of talk about what's been changing. And, you know, 2018 is big difference too, because 5v5 happened, um, and, you know, there's been a lot changing with that as well. So... I mean, the last thing we saw and the last thing I do really remember SEA, you know, Impunity, like you mentioned, Renegades coming in, they were more of a showcase team in Worlds. Afterwards, we had a lot of those showcase matches. What's kind of happened in the SEA specifically? Uh, you can even cover some of the teams that have either left or changed since we've really seen Worlds and everyone's seen the SEA region. Sure. So from, from my perspective, the biggest change is that uh, Renegades, the organization, uh, decided to take a step back from Vanglory. At the same time, most of the other orgs took a step back from Vanglory, mm-hmm. which which left our which left our team without a sort of org uh, behind us. Uh, at that point, the Singapore-based players decided to join Impunity because Impunity had an offer on the table for them, uh, and the, the the rest, the, the other three players, decided to form a new team and sort of. In a way, kind of funnily, they they've ended up joining up with the three people who left Impunity uh, to make a new team. Uh, so so we now have Impunity, which is effectively half of what was Impunity and half of Renegades, and we have the new team, which doesn't really have a name uh, as of yet. Uh, like they they're going under Tuzu 
uh, at the moment, but that's that's a reference to I think a Korean uh, soap opera star. So I don't think that's going to be their actual <laughs> competitive name. <laughs> so much is a bit of an in joke. Right. Uh, 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 but. What's basically been happening is an awful lot of scrimming. Uh, there's, there's been a couple of kind of small uh, local competitions. Uh, so there was uh, uh, Mesa and uh, then there was an Indonesian, the Indonesian uh, Games Championship, which was the, the last the last thing that Renegades as a team officially uh, competed in, which, which we won. Uh, so that was kind of, it was sort of weird in that it was post-breakup. As in, we all knew that the team was was splitting, and we were effectively competing against <laughs> people who were going to be joining, right. uh, and so on. But it was nice to kind of go out with the the clean two zero win, uh, as per Renegades' preferred right. style. Okay. Hmm. Uh, so since then, there's really just been scrims. We're, we're still in the same situation as as I think EU and NA is, and that we don't really know what the format is uh, of um, of esports and SEA. I don't, I don't know if we're going to be picking up the same 24-team kind of uh, format or if we're going to be sticking to a smaller uh, set and so on. Yeah. But there's been quite a lot of changes with, with various of the teams. So, so some are still around. Uh, Elite Eight is, is largely in the same configuration they've been in for a while. Uh, Boom Esports, which is which is probably the second uh, Indonesian team, sometimes the first. They seem to kind of fight it out among themselves uh, about that. They're still around. Uh, Bren Esports, which was probably in some ways what might have been kind of the up and coming new team in SEA. So they were they were looking like they were comfortably third. Uh, they have they've had a lot of changes. So they uh, have let go of two of the members who were kind of core to their 3v3 mm. uh, gameplay, and they've acquired some new people. And I haven't seen as much out of them as, as I've seen in the past. It'll be interesting to see so before. Yeah. So, I mean, you obviously have worked with the players and you, you know, deal with the players. How are their, like, attitudes and demeanors just, you know, screaming constantly, maybe not necessarily having these other competitions that are going on with the preseason EUNA? I mean, are they just looking forward to hopefully start getting some, like, real competition under their belt? I think everybody is chafing to go with, with real competition. I mean, we, we scrum a lot in EA. So we, we play a lot against the EA teams, uh, and the same same goes for Tuzu. They play a lot in EA. We also have Hunters is, is currently scrimming an awful lot in SEA and, in fact, ranking a lot in SEA as well. And so we quite often scrim with them, uh, which is which is interesting to kind of see some differences in, in play styles and matters. Yeah, how has it been scrimming and seeing things like that against the EA region? Because, I mean, Ace and Rocks are, you know, they've – They've changed a lot, and they've definitely been doing their own changes over there in those regions since Worlds. Yeah, I, I mean, so in my opinion, at the moment, Ace is probably the strongest team in the world. Uh, now, obviously, I haven't seen them play against the other teams, except for what I've seen as results from uh, a couple of scrims they did in, in NA. Mm -hmm. uh, but nonetheless, having watched, as you do, all the EA games and the, the, also the EU games and all the NA games, and having a fair idea of where I think teams are, uh, I think they're 
for the most part, a step above most of the other teams. Yeah. TSM's the only team I think might be on their level at mm-hmm. the moment. Rocks is probably at the same point as, as TSM. They, they will take games off Ace, but I think Ace overall are dominating. Nice. Yeah, it is definitely interesting seeing Ace, you know, seeing them kind of play ranked in, in A. I know Soli, he's been playing a lot with Gabe, and just this is like the first time. Obviously, I'm also trying to cover the scene more closely, so I'm paying attention, but I'm seeing a lot more like early scrims already in different regions. Yeah, I, I mean, I think everybody has been scrimming quite a bit, at least, at least the, the top teams anyway, right? So there's, so, so as is the case in most regions, there's a couple of teams who look like they're going to be dominant, and they seem to put a lot of work in, so they do a lot of scrims and so on, and then the other teams don't seem to do quite as much. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely interesting just seeing the top teams put all that focus in and it seems that's that's the main thing that you know is putting them above uh the other teams in, in their region but i mean coming from someone that has been in the competitive scene over there uh you know how important is it for you for the players for them to get you know a set type vpl for scmc to definitely be focusing on those regions just as much and to be putting in resources over there i've seen some things on twitter about how you know we always see ea sea teams perform better at worlds but yet we always see the focus on eu and a 24 7 i was just curious about your opinions and what you kind of would like to see scmc uh do when it comes to the sea regions uh, i mean honestly most first and foremost communicate <laughs> just tell us what's going on. You yeah. know? Uh, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be a, a, a sort of some kind of esports scene happening, but it's so late in the year for us to even not know like what's happening with Worlds. Who knows about qualification for that? Who knows about <laughs> prize money? Who knows about you know like like there's a lot of things. I mean, even just even even just talking about EA, EU, and NA. I mean, yeah, you guys know that you have competition. It's great. Right. You don't know the format. You don't know what you're playing for. You don't. You're like none of this stuff is is kind of coming out, and it's it makes it very very hard to plan, right? Because you don't know is this going to be worth our while? Should we be bothered with this? Should we just ignore it and just play in the Indonesian tournaments? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we we took uh, three thousand US dollars winning the last Indonesian tournament. That might be more than we're going to get if we, you know, put all the effort in to the official tournament. Yeah. Who knows at this point? Yeah, and I think it's important too, just because, I mean, like you already mentioned, kids have lives. We have a lot of kids. We're dealing with a lot of kids here, so it's kind of hard to mm. be having some, you know, proof or some good reasoning to why you're spending so much time scrimming and practicing for Vanglory when you don't even know yet, like what your end goal is. You know, what does Worlds look like? So. I mean, honestly, for me, it's like, yeah, Worlds is still important, but heck, I just got dropped on in week five of the preseason that there's going to be 24 teams this summer, and I was like, I was not prepared for that. Like, that was out of nowhere. Nope. How, how, how do you cover that? How does it, how does it work? Mm-hmm. Right? Are they going to be streaming all of those matches? Because that's, that's a stream I'm not going to watch. That's too big. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's all the stuff that, that I'd really like to know. Um, and, you know, again, are we going to see the top couple of teams spend their time pulverizing the rest of the teams? Or is there going to be some more balance to it? Because that's not, you know, like you, you kind of find that what you're wanting to watch are good teams playing against good teams. Mm. 
right? That that's exciting. Those are the matches that you're you're hanging out for, you know. So everybody everybody was waiting for Tribe versus TSM. Right. Right. You know, we all had our predictions. We all had our thoughts about how it was going to play out, and so on. But we all wanted to see that matchup. That was the that was the interesting one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and those those are the ones that attract the viewers on Bangalore's YouTube too, the <laughs> esports page as well. Like the tri- any game that Tribe and TSM are on on the YouTube, they're getting a thousand more views, two thousand more views than any other matches. Those are the ones that are like the yeah. big focus. All right. Well, let's see. So yeah, I, I, go on. I was just gonna say. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a bit like I, I appreciate the kind of democratizing. Let's bring more teams in. Let's see what kind of emerges. And and look, it could be the case that something that emerges is great. Mm-hmm. Right. So so it might be that one of these teams that we've never ever heard of comes in and they, they dominate, or they're easily top eight material or whatever. You know, that, that does happen. Right. But I worry that what we're gonna see is the opposite. We're just gonna see games where you know so i remember back to when we used to do uh so so sea used to do its championships with 128 teams all right so you'd have 128 teams and then you would work all your way through and uh eventually you'd get to kind of the top but always the same top sort of eight teams or so who would then play off and infamous would win that was that was the that was the standard setup um but lots of those earlier matches just didn't happen like like you'd find a lot of the time when teams were up against the top teams, they just wouldn't show up. Because what was the point? They were going to get eliminated anyway. Why would they waste their evening getting stomped on street? Mm-hmm. And so, on. so so I worry that that with this more kind of open system, that that's what we're kind of opening up to. And that we'll have a lot more streams that don't kind of work or matches where you just kind of shake your head and go, okay, why did they go for pedal in mid lane? Or <laughs> um, <laughs> so on. Yeah, it's it's already rough because even now when we're making picks on the podcast, we're pretty much saying TSM and Tribe's name every time they're going to win. So, I mean, now you're going to give them less chances to play the be- the better teams and we're going to see a lot more, you know, maybe them playing some of the lower teams. Yeah, it may lead into some exciting upsets, but those upsets are going to be less likely to happen than maybe just that, like we saw the TSM losing uh, to Rogue. So, I mean... I feel like that's more likely than TSM losing to the 24th ranked team or whatever it may be. So, exactly. um, I mean, in SCA region, do you feel that maybe a 24 team tournament like that would still, would it be similar to the NA region where you're going to have the top teams and everything else could be just shaky? Or do you feel like SCA has a, a decent, you know, a, a decent amount of players that could play at that, that level? No, it's going to be the same. We'll have impunity and we'll have two zoo. Dominating will then have probably either Boom, Elite Eight, or Brenchong sitting somewhere uh, close behind, and then we'll have the rest of the teams. That's that's what I expect. And again, unless there are players out there who I've never seen before, who uh, happen to have got this five v five thing in a way that the top players haven't got it, mm-hmm. but I'm not seeing it. I don't I don't, don't think it's likely. So, question: What team is Spaghetti on? So Spaghetti is on Impunity. Okay. So, so Impunity is Spaghetti, uh, Cordovore, uh, DefQ, Chingy, and Aon Two Two Two. So that was those. So Spaghetti, Chingy, Aon Two 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 were uh, Renegades players who live in Singapore, 
and DefQ is like been long term laner for uh, Impunity, and of course Cordovos has been their their robe captain mm. for a very long time as well. Dang, it's a just those players alone. It sounds like a pretty stacked team. <laughs> It's a stacked team, but then Tuzu is also a stacked team. So uh, they have Uni, who used to play competitively in NA, moved to SEA, became uh, one of the either the jungle or later, depending on which week it was <laughs> for us in Renegades. Um, you have uh, SNK, who is the I can't believe how godlike he is as a Roma uh, for uh, for Renegades. He was. Uh, and you have QC, who uh, was the chap who played lane for Impunity at Worlds mm-hmm. and was pretty darn impressive. Uh, then you also have Tezaboy, who's, 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 he's got kind of an interesting history. So he, he, was, our, he was a roam for, our, for Renegades in 3v3. That was, that's what he was. He joined the team when Popeyes joined up with Renegades and we became one team. Uh, and he was pretty busy, so he was playing some games, but not all of the games. Um, now, he's converted, and he's become a, a bot laner, and he's become a very, very good bot laner. Like, he's, you know, people will say he's certainly one of the best bot laners in SEA. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of just an interesting shift, because it's, it's not a direction you typically see people move it from, from Rome to bot lane. Uh, it's, it's, it's an unusual change. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, you've been around 5v5 a lot. You've been around, you're honest, like you already mentioned, PBE. You know, what do you feel has changed from 5v5? We're in, you know, almost, we're in May, going to be heading up to June when the VPL starts in our region of NA, EU. Do you feel like 5v5 has changed a lot in some good ways? There's been any some negative things that has changed in 5v5 that you would rather see not have taken or take place like they did? Yeah, so so I think they fixed two problems and they created some more ones. So they so the problems they fixed games typically in the PBE and the development phase they potentially ran to the long side. So they potentially ran for thirty minutes, sometimes a bit more, if you had a balanced match. And, and part of what was causing that was that you had a kind of stall happen, where it was quite hard to break open the enemy base. So you could you could comfortably dominate them, beat them down to the the sort of the base turrets, but it was really hard to take those base turrets. Mm-hmm. And so they made changes. So they, they decreased the, the toughness of turrets and they increased the impact of Ghostwing and Black Claw to try and compensate for those. Right? Uh, so in that sense, they fixed that problem. The problem with fixing that problem is that they've made it too easy now, I think, <laughs> to snowball the game and just dominate uh, from that. So now we have the kind of opposite extreme from 30-minute games to 13-minute games and, and games where you kind of think after the first four or five minutes, I know who's winning this. Right. You know, unless the team really, really, really throw um, or just can't execute their win condition, you're pretty much certain this is the, this is the team, this is done, uh, and it's settled. Um, yeah. And oddly, so, so that was one game state that we did encounter in PBE and, and it decided we didn't really like, so had given advice about how to stop that. Uh, and interestingly, at the moment, what we have is kind of the two worst game states I think we had in the PBA. So we have this kind of snowball to win, I think. Mm-hmm. But then if you hit the 20-minute mark, right, so if you manage to resist the snowball or the team just doesn't execute or so on, uh, you have the kind of opposite issue, which is that one team fight 
and you can stroll all the way through and finish the game off. Oh yeah. Um, so you kind of have this kind of complete flip around where you 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 can lose the game hard and just but but manage to survive long enough, take one team fight, win the whole thing. Yep. Right? And neither of those are very satisfying game states because what they mean is that most of the game is not meaningful to the outcome of the game. Mm. All right. So the ideal in any game design is that all of it counts, right? And the decision you make it at 15 minutes has impact on the game in the same way that the decision you make it at three or four minutes does. So, so hopefully we'll see changes that come in that, that push us more towards that game state. I think it, that's what will happen. Yeah. But it takes time. I mean, as an esports fan, as a viewer of the Twitch streams, I mean, where do you fall as what do you want to see? I mean, me personally, like you already mentioned, when I see a team have an advantage five minutes in and this match is going to be over by 13-minute mark, to me, that's not really – I don't really enjoy those as much. I would rather have the longer match, the more intense, or like every team fight, it literally could go either way. I'm just curious on like what your opinion is on, you know, how do they find yeah, that I, medium? Yeah, I mean, when I – I liked it when we had games that ran 20 to 25 minutes, sometimes 30 if it was a really, really even backwards and forwards game. Those felt really intense. There were lots of sort of team fights that you felt were meaningful. There was backwards and forwardsing, with split pushing and, and so on, uh, which, which felt impactful in a way that it doesn't feel impactful now. So, so I kind of favor the longer uh, things. I guess the other thing to say, though, is that it is a bit hard. In a way, it's almost too early to judge because most teams, I hate to say it, but most teams are just not very good yet at reading the kind of map, reading the macro, working out what they should do. I mean, there, there are a couple of teams that have got it, mm -hmm. right? So, so uh, Qlash, right? Now, that, that's a team that, to me, came from, not from nowhere, players, but done their understanding of the macro and how to work the map, and it's been very, very impressive. TSM, same, very, very impressive understanding of how to play it. All right? Right. And then other teams that you would expect that kind of understanding of haven't quite performed to that level. I mean, Tribe is the obvious example of this. Incredible players, amazing mechanics. Sometimes look a little bit lost out there. Don't quite really know what they're doing, not really sure where they should be, hesitating, not taking the fight in the optimal way, not, not kind of, you know, kind of running to catch up rather than doing things. Right. And the crazy thing has been is just how, how obvious it is. Like in 3v3, I felt like it was harder to see the slight mistakes that teams would make on the macro side. But now in 5v5, mm -hmm. it's just like so blatantly obvious the teams that are clearly understanding, you know, how to take advantage off of one kill or how to take, a, you know, the most out of the farm or to get the gold lead the quickest. Uh, and 5v5 has really opened that up, I feel like. Yeah. I, and now part of that is just that 3v3 was very mature, right? right? And the shared understanding we had of how to play it at a top level was really, really developed. Right? There was a ritual to it, and you all knew what to do. That ritual was still being developed from hard to five. Like, we've got ideas. There are times, the patches where the kind of optimal play is really, really obvious. But there's also lots of situations where it's just not that obvious at all what you should do. And mm -hmm. it only becomes obvious 
a couple of minutes after you've done it. So you've kind of committed. It's like, I'm going to go to this lane to clear it. And then it's like, oh, well, they're taking a team fight and I'm clearing this lane. And oh, we just got ace. Um, <laughs> you know, we were split up and that was a mistake. But then there are other times where, well, we don't split. We, we cluster as a team and they're split pushing and well, we lost two turrets. So it is, I think it's tough. It's hard, right? Yeah. I think, yeah, the, the phase we're at right now is really interesting. I mean, one day I was like bored on Twitch and I went back to like some old 3v3 esports, autumn, whatever season it would have been when flares would reveal people no matter where they were. And it's just crazy to think like maybe right now we're about to look back on this 5v5 and be like, I can't believe teams played that way. And it's just terrible compared mm. to what it is hopefully in the future. And we may not even get quite there by worlds. It just depends on you know how much competition we have and how much teams can grind. But I think 2019 we'll start seeing more and more of a maybe a standard or like what, what 5v5 is supposed to be in Bangalore. Yeah, I think that's that's probably true. Uh, you know, as I say, I think there are teams that have got it and are doing really well at it. It's not that they don't make mistakes, they still do. Uh, but they do seem to have their head around a, a lot of the macro in a way that a lot of teams just don't have their head around. Yeah. But yes, that'll spread. Understanding will grow and we'll get more uniform styles of play, I think. Yeah, I'm definitely hoping we get some good competition in the other regions. Stuff that I can actually watch. Definitely some good, you know, some VODs if I can't watch it live. Just because it's going to be so important going into Worlds. Definitely since we saw after last Worlds. I don't want to go into Worlds this year and see and hear a team and be like, oh, who's this team? And I have no clue where they are. Like, I want to be able to... Everyone... Fan-wise, should be pretty well aware of what teams were headed into Worlds, and you know maybe have seen some of them already competing at that top level within their region, respectively. Yeah, I, I think that that would be great. And one thing that Worlds did show us last year was that you know those those teams that you kind of wrote off because of their region, you can't afford to do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, there were there were teams that were much more competitive than I was expecting yeah. uh, to see come out of them. And so, yeah, being able to see them more and being able to see them in an easy, coherent place. I, I know when I was at Worlds and they were talking about what their intentions were for the Vanglory Esports uh, website, was mm -hmm. if they follow through with what they were talking about there, that will actually be incredibly useful. Because yeah. the plan was that they were going to use that to host the VODs and everything else mm -hmm. uh, for all region. Yeah. So, yeah, because uh, at the moment, like, trying to find out what's going on in, in China or, or EA, and trying to watch stuff that's happening there. It's, it's completely different apps. It's yeah. in a foreign language. You've just got no idea. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's definitely true. There's nothing more frustrating. You're like, wait a minute, they don't use Twitch over there? We're not allowed to just use Twitch? It's not that simple? No. Yes, no. You've got to find this thing, and then you've got to navigate through this thing to find the actual match. And yeah. Yeah, and then, yeah. If I remember rightly, there was one. There was one app that you could use to watch them live, and there was another app where you could watch replays. <laughs> <laughs> this is too much work. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> well. I'm interested looking at the PBE aspect of things, and definitely when it comes to balancing, and how difficult is it to look at balancing and the aspect of your everyday player and the aspect of esports and how changes are going to affect both very differently such as for me personally that ghost swing buff the 25 percent was a little high for the competitive scene because we're going to see super fast games once you take a ghost swing you can just push down tourists easily 
I'm curious on what you've experienced and, you know, how interactions with pro players and how much do they play in the aspect of when it comes to, quote-unquote, balancing a broken hero or whatever it may be. Sure. So uh, it's always a trade-off. Uh, SMC have made it reasonably clear that they they try and balance for the average player. Mm-hmm. They, they take into consideration the impact on the pro scene. They don't want to have something which is completely broken if they can avoid it. But at the same time, if a hero is weak, generally, then that's a problem and that's a problem they want to address even when it's a hero who's considered to be quite strong competitively. Yeah. So Kestrel, for example, right? Uh, last patch, Kestrel was probably third pick in priority order for us. It was basically Lyra, Celeste, and Kestrel, right? And she got a buff. <laughs> yeah. And uh, why'd she get a buff? Well, because her win rate on live is about 47%. She doesn't win that often hmm. when she's not in the hands of people who can absolutely abuse her abilities. Right. The, tr- the trick, if you want to try and balance those kinds of heroes, the trick is to try and find a way of making them stronger without making them stronger in the hands of a pro. So I'll give you, I'll give you an example of this, right? The last little buff that was done to Blackfeather, where his cooldown on his A was reduced, right? The reason for doing that was that 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 makes it easier on people who are reasonably bad at playing Blackfeather. Because if you're good at playing Blackfeather, you use your A when it is going to execute your opponent, and so you get complete cooldown reset. So having a lower cooldown on your A isn't that useful for a player who's really good at Blackfeather, because they're going to get a cooldown reset anyway. But for a player who's not so good at the timing and understanding of exactly how much damage is going to be output for when they're going to need to use it to execute it, it makes the hero a bit more forgiving, which then will boost him up in terms of his win rate with lower skill players, but hopefully not have a huge impact on his win rate with higher skill players. Yeah. I mean, we, we saw, people may have seen it, the interaction of on Truth, Truth of Light from, um, from Nova, he... Uh, Definitely expressed his feelings about Reza and his thoughts on the buff to Reza. Nivmet, of course, Nivmet has to respond to a lot of these complaints. And, you know, it's. Poor Niv. <laughs> yes, poor Niv. I don't know. It's just rough to see. I get Truth's point and I get where he's coming from. But, you know, at the same time, it's just like, you know, how, how is Niv, Nivmet supposed to make everyone happy? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, obviously, it's a losing game if he tries to. Yeah. <laughs> um, at the end of the day, it's always going to be the case that people disagree, and and to some degree, that disagreement is quite healthy, mm-hmm. right? If if people are generally not that happy about things, but but without kind of a really specific, clear agreement about that, not happy about things, in a way, that's that's kind of good. Uh, but but yeah, there are going to be heroes who get a buff or a nerf where it's perhaps not completely deserved. Uh, particularly from the point of view of the competitive scene. The competitive scene does have an opportunity to have some inputs which they often don't take up. So most competitive players, not all, but most, are in the PBE in some sense. Uh, Likewise, a lot of the analysts are in the PBE in some sense. A lot don't turn up to testing, and that's perfectly understandable. They're busy folk who have training and scrims and life and school and all these other things on their plates. but it does kind of feel a bit rough when you've gone through and you've done the work to try and balance things and so on. And then somebody comes out of the blue and says, Oh, you did a terrible job with this. Like, oh, 
<laughs> Could have told me two weeks ago right. when we had a chance of changing that. Now I can't do anything about it. But, but you know, why'd you wait? Um, but at the end of the day, even if they were in there, there'll be plenty of times where somebody will say, I think this hero is too strong, or I don't think these changes are warranted. And they'll be told, look, it doesn't work for you, but it's a, it's a change that's aimed at lower skill player, skill tier players who need this kind of change to make that hero viable for them. Yeah. I mean, when you also look at new heroes that are released, I mean, they're released strong. They're going to be strong upon release. One, because no one's going to purchase or try to get their hands on a hero that's terrible. So obviously, any yep. new hero that comes out is going to be on the strong end. Um, and then, you know, we may see other things just like a hero in rank Q, just a general rank Q, just being banned constantly just because people don't know how to deal with that new hero. Yes. Yeah, and, and, and if they aren't strong on release, and in fact, Riz was a nice example of this. Riz's win rate on release was dire. Like, yeah, because I, I, I look at PG Pro and so on, on mm. uh, and I kind of pay attention to these things. Riz's win rate on release was 35%. Dang. That's awful. <laughs> awful, right? That, that's why he got a hotfix basically instantly. Uh, because that was a that was a hero who you bought and then you lost the game when you played him. Yeah. <laughs> that's a horrible feeling if you're just consistently going to lose with this new hero that you paid money. Right. Um, but the trick is, of course, you don't want to release them too strong either, uh, because one, if they're if they're always banned, that's also a horrible feeling. Mm-hmm. You're never going to get to play this thing you just bought, uh, and of course they have they have a kind of it's hard to then people get annoyed with playing against them, they don't like to play around them, and so on. So, so ideal is strong, but counterplayable. So, so Kinsey, for example, I personally think he's a bit strong. Now, that, was, that was the feedback I gave in the PBE. Uh, I'm also willing to bet that his win rate isn't going to reflect that. All right. And it won't reflect it because it takes a while for people to get their head around new kits, and because he has a quite weak early game, so if you play against him hard, you can probably win the game before he becomes online. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's you see the professional players, like you've already mentioned too, the professional players, I mean, they get their hands on a hero that they can understand how to take advantage of what is kind of, quote-unquote, broken about it. Then, yeah, they'll spam it and they'll take yep. advantage of it. Yep, and hence why we have a nickname for Kensei in the PPE, which is that he's Pensei, right? <laughs> Pentakill. <laughs> Kensei. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> because, yeah, in the right hands with a team that knows how to support him and, and give him the space to develop, brutal, utterly brutal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, most hands aren't those hands. Right. Yeah, that is that is one of the more frustrating things is when uh, I'm, I'm POA Silver right now, so when you have a player that does follow competitive, they see what maybe the pros are kind of abusing or trying to use to their advantage, and then that player tries to imitate it, but they're actually not good at that hero. And in some cases, you probably should just pay what you're best at and don't try to do what the pros are doing. <laughs> yeah, and likewise with build paths and, yes. and all sorts of things. Often the, the builds that pros are using, sometimes they work despite the pro who's using it. because. Uh, you know, so this pro skill is sufficiently high that, that it doesn't matter that their build path is suboptimal, yeah. uh, or they work they work into this particular situation. And if you just mindlessly copy it, it doesn't work at all. Mm-hmm. 
but yeah, I, I hear that I think was kind of interesting on release was Churnwalker because Churnwalker was on release thought of as a little bit weak, and people played him, didn't like him that much, take him, didn't pick up that much. Next patch, some teams started to pick him up. TSM in particular mm-hmm. started to pick him up. Flash started to play him. Patch after that, people were clamoring for a nerf. Right. right? wasn't changed in any of those patches. Right. <laughs> it was exactly the same hero. Um, but because people hadn't really got their head around the kit, they hadn't seen how it actually functions, because he has a kit that, that his impact is it's a little bit submerged, it's a little hard to see what the effect of those chains and the, the reflected damage actually is, uh, people just kind of felt he wasn't very impactful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then once they started to see top teams picking him up, using him, winning with him, they went, oh, hang on, maybe there's something here. They started playing him, and then it kind of spread out throughout the user base. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, you've seen, we've just been talking about 3.3 uh, a little bit, but, I mean, you see the esports side of that and how those patch, the, the, the changes roll out when it comes to update notes. Um, do you think you, your team specifically, do they ever struggle when it comes to new patches out? How long does it take for the team to really adapt to new uh, patch and just all the changes and fixes for them to actually kind of settle into what that meta is? There's often a small adjustment period where you're kind of working out, uh, okay, this this guy looks on paper like he's going to be strong, is he? Uh, and is the does the tactic that really worked last time really work still? So, so you know, like last season's kind of meta gameplay style was get a ranged jungler, Put heavy pressure on the bot lane, take the ghost wing, steamroll. Mm-hmm. Right? That was that was what teams were doing and, and was working really, really well. It was very hard to counter. This patch we've got Kenze coming in, we've got a pretty big buff to Glaive, we've got a small buff to Black Feather. Does that upset that? Right? Does it switch that over? Do we now think actually what we want to do is let other people draft that and we'll dive on them? Uh, or are there still sufficient? Is there just enough upfront damage or the buffs to, to Kestrel, for example, sufficient that uh, that's still going to end in disaster? You're just not going to get that dive to work most of the time. You're better playing this kind of more pokey CG style uh, comp. At this point, I don't know. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've had one night of scrims. Uh, I've right. seen a couple of, or two nights now. I've seen, I've seen a couple of different things we've played stuff on live but playing stuff on live doesn't doesn't tell you much about what works or doesn't because right. most of these guys are going to be playing against you know players who are at least a tier below you and and there's a big big gap a big 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 gap it's got to be a, a fun transition period for the analyst to be furiously trying to find something that no one has found out to be really strong and they're just trying to be the first person to break through that <laughs> Yeah, uh, but you know, like uh, with that kind of thing, in a way, it's a, it's a fun kind of time, but it's also mostly meaningless because yeah, you, you know, any of these kinds of surprise pocket pick kind of things, you'll get one game off them, and then if the other team's any good at all, they'll adapt. Right. Right. So it's really hard to hide to properly hide strategies and and not you know release them and so on. But you do sometimes have them. Uh, we've had. <laughs> You know, I've had a number of times where we've set something up, or we've had a plan to do something, and then the draft hasn't worked out that way. And I've never ever used that strategy, mm-hmm. uh, even though we'd, we'd set up for it and we had a whole way of doing it. Right. I feel like it's just like any here, like a weapon, that weapon power pedal, for example, was a big one where 
it just kind of yeah. came out. It worked. People spammed it, and it just became it had to be banned because it was just too much to deal with, or unless you had the perfect comp to deal with it. And it's always interesting to figure out when that's going to happen. When is someone going to play something that's so strong that it just has to be banned? Yeah. And at the moment, there's a lot of debate, I think, among the analysts about how much comp actually matters. So is it is it like 3v3 where, where the comp kind of, to some degree, just determines the outcome? Like right. if, you, if you get the right kind of counter comp, a much worse team in terms of mechanics can beat a, a stronger team. Or right. is it the case that no mechanics just rule? Or is it the case that macro rules and it, and it doesn't really matter what you've drafted as long as it's vaguely competent? It's a lot of debate about that. I don't think we have a clear cut answer. Yeah, there was the debate between, I forget who was having it. I think it may have just been Viziak saying that he felt that 5v5's draft was less important than 3v3. He felt like it's not as, wasn't as big of a deal compared to what 3v3 was. So I thought that would be yeah. interesting just because you would think maybe because there's more heroes. Well, kind of more heroes. We're getting there to more heroes, but the more heroes, the amount you can play in one game, things would be kind of more complicated, but... Um... Yeah. Well, a part of it is this. It's much... A, a direct counter for a hero is no longer as impactful as it used to yes, be. Yes, yes. Because your counter can be countered by somebody else's, mm -hmm. or they could switch lanes or move things around or play them in a different kind of uh, place than, than you're expecting. Right. Uh, and that can kind of nullify the impact of the counter. I still think counter picks do work, uh, but they're better if they counter multiple players on the opposing team because right. then they're just much more likely to be impact. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a patch, an update, whatever they call it, I forget. They call it one or the other. But whenever it, yes. the new the change over to the 3.3 and definitely in a solo queue, it's just it's crazy how much it changes. You know, Kensei's banned every game and now we're seeing Malines. We're actually finally get to see Malene action and ranked and getting to see some. Yeah, still quite strong. Yes, yeah, still, still quite, quite strong. strong. <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely experienced that feeling of where I understand why we banned Malene all last patch and I never had one rank game against her because she can build all glass cannon, no defense, because she has a couple items that can... She's got so much escape. And, so much yeah. escape. And they're just in-your-face damage. That, that, that incredibly annoying, uh, the, the sort of, it's not stun, but the, that thing. Oh, such a, such a beast. There is nothing more disappointing than I was playing against Moline mid lane as a Celeste, poking her down, alting her face to try to kill her with a one-shot, like a snipe. And she literally just disappears, and she avoids the all. Oh, into that like, darkness! Uh, oh. I, I can remember in PBE when we were we were playtesting uh, her, and somebody was playing Glaive in lane against her. Oh yes. Uh, so she was running. She was being run in top lane, and like every single time he'd afterburned in, like ah, I'm invisible. <laughs> you, you literally just walked in here. And there's nothing you can do. Oh, and now I'm smashing your face in with all of my other abilities. Um, so yeah, I, she can be quite frustrating today. If you're not used to that ability and that the mechanic of her just being gone, you can't do anything about it, it is tilting. You're just like, what am I supposed to do? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's kind of like a reference block. You kind of have to bait it out earlier with some other ability mm -hmm. that's less impactful, then use the really impactful one to, to right. take her out. Yeah, for sure. That definitely takes more of the more of the team synergy when it comes to which is harder to do in solo queue of 
timing abilities uh, and trying to actually jump on a, a Malene that is Aftershock, Shatterglass, and no defense yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's fun time, though. Oh, it's good fun. Well, we have f- about four weeks until VPL starts here in the NA, or once they start releasing more information, I actually get a solid idea about what the VPL will be like, but... Um, do we will we see another whole patch by the time our starts? Yeah, almost, almost certainly. Okay. Uh, end of end of season is like twenty seven days away, something like that. Okay. So I think we're going to get another short patch. This is my this is my guess. But my guess is we'll see a short patch, and then that patch will be a week or maybe two weeks old when VPL starts. So we'll be straight into the new patch. People will be playing on that patch. And that's where things will kick off. So that's going to be really, really. Yeah. So three point three doesn't matter too much competitively because competitively, no. I mean, obviously, you want to keep up with it, and and you know, teams are going to have it to be training, scrimming, improving, right. getting their synergy up, getting their strategies up, and and so on. So it still matters in that sense. But yeah, in one sense, it's kind of irrelevant. Yeah. All right. Well. Are there any other major things you want to discuss? Esports side, three point three. Anything that I mean, we're we already had a forty-five minute mark somehow. Um, is there anything major that we haven't <laughs> covered in the SEA region, EA, the other regions that a lot of people haven't been seeing that you want to discuss real quick before we maybe wrap up the this episode? I think we've covered the the main things. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting once we actually get to competitive and can actually see these games these teams in action you know mm-hmm. I've, got, I've got a sense for what i think about the teams from scrimming them but you know you never can quite tell with a team whether they're taking scrims seriously or not you know we've we've certainly experienced the the ace phenomenon where you you, you dare to beat them in a game and then they just crush you <laughs> right you kind of you kind of you win that game you're like ah, see <laughs> we can take them it's not a problem and then it's just like oh oh god you just poked what the bear <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think I, you know it's it's always hard to judge from those scrims really how how exactly strong a team is going to be, um, but I think it will be quite interesting to see later on and and at Worlds I think right. we'll, we'll get some different philosophies of how to play bumping into each other, which is fascinating. Yes, EA region obviously, and more of those other the regions over there can definitely dedicate a lot of time to games in general they obviously dominate in yeah. other games as well and always seem to be the master the masterminds of how to actually uh to uh, master the game i guess i should say so it'll be interesting to see that i like you already mentioned the website for Banglory. if that happens i hope it does in the aspect of them to be able to smoothly continuously upload vods of every region that way if you are bored of na like sometimes i get of seeing the same two teams win i can go to a different region learn some new players learn some new teams that are kind of really interesting to watch so i hope vanglory definitely puts an smc i guess i should say puts some uh emphasis on that yeah that'd be great all right well if you have nothing else I don't have anything else at the top of my mind. We definitely will have to do this again towards the future once we start seeing more stuff come out in your guys' region. I hope the communication starts for the sanity of all the players and everyone involved in the esports thing. That way we just can know what 2018 will look like. We, Like you already mentioned, we are about halfway through. We're getting close to halfway through 2018 already. Sounds crazy. Um, But it'll be interesting how the competitive scene ends up shaping up. 
Absolutely. Well, in my fish, thank you once again for coming on. It was uh, a real fun talking about some different regions and having discussion other than NA and EU. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to Time for Rolling. If you liked what you heard, please leave a review on iTunes or Google Play Music and subscribe for weekly episodes. Follow us on Twitter at Time for Rolling and at TFR underscore esports. Until next week for another edition of Time for Rolling. Time for rolling.